0: Welcome to The Hills. I know I'm talking to a lot of people that are watching online. And I'm also talking to my sweet brothers and sisters at South Lake Campus and West Fort Worth Campus. Love you guys. Love being with you. Glad that you're all here. And I have to begin by thanking you for the amazing outpouring of feedback I got as we began a series last week called Why Talk About Race. So much support, so much encouragement, uh, so much promise to pray Even much confession from 9 to 90, I heard from people saying, I know God has brought me a long way, but I think God still wants me to go farther. And so thank you for being so honest, and thank you for those prayers, and for every single person who said, how can I pray for you? I've had the same three requests, that I would be clear, that I would be kind, and that I would be bold. I want to be bold and courageous, and not be afraid to say things God has put on my heart to say. But being courageous is not an excuse for being obnoxious. So I want to be kind as I preach. And I want to be clear. I've never had a problem if I shared what I honestly think the Bible says, and you disagree with me, and you get upset. Because you understand exactly what I was saying. My concern has always been that I wasn't clear, and so I frustrated you because... You did not understand what I was trying to say. So those are my prayers, that I would be bold, kind, and clear. And to that end, let me clarify something I said last week, because reflecting, I decided I didn't say it as well as I want, because I said last week that for this series, I have no agenda. Well, that's not true. I never preach a sermon that I don't have an agenda or a goal, or a purpose for the sermon. What I meant was, I have no political agenda for this series. But I do have what I believe is a biblical agenda. And that is to see our church embrace and embody God's dream for the body of Christ. And some of my boldness comes from having the privilege of being with churches that have embraced and embodied God's dream and some of my passion comes from growing up in a church that did not so a little about me that some of you've heard before i went to the high school in the 1970s great music terrible clothes and As I was beginning high school in South Dallas, the city decided to force school integration with a policy called busing. Many things I could say about that, but the reality is my high school the year before I attended was 100% white. The first day I attended, it became immediately 20% African American as young black teenagers were taken from their neighborhoods on buses to come to a all-white high school and the first day they got off the bus the for sale signs went up and as a teenager I experienced firsthand a phenomenon called white flight as I saw family after family I grew up with decide they did not want to live in that neighborhood anymore and in five years I watched my all-white neighborhood become an all-black neighborhood. In five years, my all-white high school became an all-black high school. But more distressing to me was to watch how the churches responded. The church was not a thermostat trying to challenge and change the culture, but it was a thermometer that reflected it. And it was in high school I realized that I was growing up, In a racist church. As the neighborhoods changed, the elders called in my father who led the visitation ministry and instructed him that if a black family was to visit our church, they were not to be seen and asked to come back. I remember, I've told this before, standing by one of the matriarchs of our church, we had a bulletin board with pictures a missionary from Africa had sent of people he had baptized in a river. And she said out loud, I wish they wouldn't put those pictures on the wall, I don't like the idea of those, and she used the N-word, being in heaven with me. And I remember thinking, lady, you've got nothing to worry about. And so I preached my first sermon when I was 16. It was a terrible sermon. It had six points. And the third point was racism is sin. And there was an emergency elders meeting. And I was told that I would not be allowed to preach at that church ever again. A few years later, that church dissolved. Some will say because everyone moved away. I would say because Jesus took away the candlestick, it didn't have the right to wear his name. But a simple diagnosis would be the problem was the presence of racism in that church. I realize now there was a deeper problem than the presence of racism. And it was the absence of the gospel. I realize now the church of my youth did not preach the cross. Now they would have said they did. And they would have had insisted that they believe all races can become Christians. But they resisted the idea of someone from another race being welcomed to their table. And here's the thing. Before you are quick to judge the church of my youth Realize that even today more churches are like the church of my youth than they want to admit. 90% of the churches in America today are monoracial. The outrage would be justifiable and understandable in any other institution. Could you imagine... If 90% of our universities only enrolled students of one race. If 90% of our sports teams only played people of one race. Suppose 90% of our banks only did business with clients of one race. The American church is the only major institution where the law allows segregation. And so, American churches today are 10 times more segregated than their local neighborhoods. And 20 times more segregated than their nearby schools. And I already know the feedback. Well, pastor, people just like to worship with their own kind. People are just more comfortable in the style and the culture that they're used to. And my best way to respond to that is to talk about pizza. So in 2015, the CEO of Pizza Hut got his team together to talk about their lagging sales. He said, come up with a new promotion. And after many hours, they did. And it was simple. Easy beats better. Better. People today don't want quality, they want convenience. So, when I began preaching, there was a popular church growth principle called the homogeneous principle. And it said, you want to grow a church faster, target one people group. Focus on one ethnicity. People are more comfortable with that and more apt to attend. And they were right. The homogeneous church works. So, what happens if a neighborhood gets more diverse? Simple sell your building to the new ethnic group and move further out of town where it's just all one race and start a new church. It works. The mono-ethnic church is easier. The multi-ethnic church is messier. But we're asking the wrong question. The issue is not what is most easy. The issue is what is most in line with the gospel. God does not want separate but equal. It confronts and rebukes the cross. Once the early Christians left Jerusalem because of persecution, they left ethnocentrism behind. And the the primary church planter in the New Testament, Paul, never once planted a mono-ethnic church. Every church he planted was intentionally multi-ethnic. It would have been so easier not to do that. The tension between the cultures of Gentile and Jew were so great. The Jewish people had all their special diet laws, but they didn't mind eating meat offered to an idol. The Gentiles didn't want to eat meat offered to an idol, but could not understand your problem with bacon. And, And they never could get together on special days and special feasts. And it would have been so easy for Paul to say, now all you Jewish believers, you just meet over in this house. And all you other ethnic Gentile believers, you just meet over in this house. And y'all come together once a year and have a unity service. But Paul's understanding of the gospel demanded that he choose messy over easy. The way he preached the cross meant there was no other way to be The church. I want to show you that this morning by just reading a lot of scripture. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it and so the first thing Paul is saying is that God's grace is the only way to be saved you've heard me say before people who say all religions are the same don't understand all religions the Bible is the only religious book that teaches the impossibility of self-salvation other faiths say you're sick and here's good advice on how to get better Grace does not say you are sick. Grace says you are dead. And you can't do anything to save yourself. The true gospel declares that salvation begins with God. It's accomplished completely by God and results in all the glory going to God. Now why is that important? Because if you have a wrong view of grace, it will justify allowing you to have a wrong view of race. Because racism is a subtle form of legalism. It implies that all don't stand equally in need of Christ's work on the cross. By virtue of your ethnicity, you are somehow a little bit closer to God than others. This was a huge issue for the first Christians to work through. The Jewish believers had been taught all their lives, we are closer to God. We are his favorite. They naturally began to say, you need to become a Jew so that you can become a Christian. They had to have a big conference about this. And may maybe the most important doctrinal statement ever uttered, Peter, a Jew, stood up. He said, Acts 15, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. One of my favorite lines of a hymn will always be, just as I am, without one plea, not my good works, not my fine theology, not my race, no plea except, your blood was shed for me. We all receive life the same way by identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. That's why we're having baptism weekend next week. If you have not been baptized, I implore you, sign up. Because you're not sick. Without Jesus Christ, you are dead. And you need to bury a dead thing. And be raised to new life in the power of the Spirit of Christ. Coming to the cross is the end of me. However... My salvation does not end with me. So let's keep reading. Verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Okay, so we're saved by grace, prepared by grace to do good things, to do good works. And maybe your Bible, the very next word is therefore. He's continuing the thought. Therefore, because of everything I just taught you about your salvation by grace, therefore, let's talk about the good thing you've been prepared to do. What is it? He's about to tell us. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. who united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with His commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in Himself one new people from two groups. Together, what a big word, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. I'm telling you, sometimes just read the Bible, I just want to fall down on my knees and shout hallelujah. Do you understand how big what we just read is? Our world is filled with so much enmity and hate toward the other. Just this weekend, another horrific shooting in New Zealand. And that should cause you to grieve. It doesn't matter if they're a different color, a different tongue, a different religion. Hate against some of us is hate against all of us. See, what the enemy wants to do is separate and divide and create fear in us and tell us this narrative, I'm afraid of you and therefore it's right for me to hate you. This is what he does. Sends the great separator. It separated Adam from the garden. It separated uh, The soul from Christ, it separates Cain from Abel. Do you understand how huge the victory of the cross is? What he's saying is the cross goes both ways. The cross destroys sin's power to separate me from God, and the cross destroys sin's power to separate us from each other. Why do we talk about race? Because we preach the cross. Preaching the cross is more than just an appeal for integration. It's God's move to create reconciliation among all His people. The cross is God's war on walls. Now, they understood the wall of hostility. There literally, in the temple in Jerusalem was a wall. And there was a plaque on it saying to Gentiles, You go on the other side of this wall and your death is on your head. What Paul is saying is the cross says no more thinking that way. Look again from a different translation. Christ himself is our peace. He made both Jewish people and those who were not Jews one people. They were separated as if there was a wall between them. But Christ broke down that wall of hate by giving his own body. His purpose was to make the two groups of people become one new people in Him. And in this way we make peace. It was also Christ's purpose to end the hatred between the two groups. To make them into one body. And to bring them back to God. Christ did all this with His death on the cross. You cannot preach the cross and justify racism. You cannot preach the cross and justify your desire for a monoracial church God's purpose is not just the cessation of hostility it is the creation of a completely new family Uh, this doesn't mean that a Jew has to become a Gentile it doesn't mean that a Gentile has to become a Jew it means we all have to become Christians Paul says, Colossians uh, Colossians 3, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Please understand, God doesn't want a colorblind church. Don't say that. I want you to see my color. I'm white. You're black. You're brown. I see that in you. I embrace that in you. There is beauty in you just like there's beauty in me. But because of Christ we can look at each other and say I do see the righteousness of God in all of us. God is choosing living stones from diverse quarries to build a brand new house, a new temple for His Holy Spirit to dwell in. This is God's dream for his church and when it is not embraced or embodied the results are nightmarish I've told before the story from Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography distress as a student over the caste system in India reading the gospels in college in South Africa thinking that the teachings of Jesus were the answer for his troubled nation, visiting a church, being met by an usher who said, you're not welcome here. Go find a church for people of your color. And he wrote in his autobiography, if Christianity has a caste system too, I might as well remain a Hindu. It's hard to measure the incalculable damage to the mission and kingdom of God that has been done by allowing walls to stand. The cross was meant to destroy. Ethnocentrism empties the cross of its power. It reflects poorly on the very nature of our God because Paul is going to argue that it is our unity that displays God's wisdom. It's the way God displays, not just that he's good, the multi-ethnic church lets the world know that he is smart, and not just the world of people. Okay, hold on while we keep reading. He's talking about the same thing, chapter 3. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. But now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose. Okay, now hold on. This gets good. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in all its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear what he just said? The multi-ethnic church is making God look smart to the invisible realms that we sometimes forget even exist. God is doing something that the angels and the demons are learning from. They're going to grad school by looking at what God is intending for the church. His variety. And by the way, that word in your Bible literally means multicolored. How good is that? Through the multicolored church, God is declaring to angels and demons, to visible and invisible realms, that Jesus Christ has won. It is through the multicolored church that God is declaring, I keep all the promises I made to Abraham that I'm going to bless every ethnic group on the earth. It is through the multicolored church that God is announcing that the creation that sin has corrupted and polluted is going to be completely restored and completely reconciled. And I am going to get the creation I wanted. God is doing that through the multicolored church. Monoracial church is easy. Multi-ethnic church is better. And to convince you of that, let's talk about pizza. So, like your children, when I was young, what kind of pizza did I want? Cheese. Bread and cheese. Simple. Easy. And then one day somebody put some pepperoni on that sucker. And some sausage. And some green peppers. And some olives. And then, hallelujah, some breakfast bacon. (laughs) And my pizza got a lot messier. And so much better. So, I grew up in almost exclusively white church. White culture has some values. And one of our highest values is individualism. So, I learned early on that I need to take ownership of my faith. I need my own personal walk with Christ, and discipleship is up to me to pursue. But then I began to experience the Christian tradition in other ethnic traditions. I learned from my African American and my Latino brothers and sisters the value of community, how what hurts one should hurt all. I saw how my Hispanic brothers and sisters, bring a passion to worship that, frankly, the white church could use more of. I saw how they valued authority and especially the older generations. What a strength to the body they bring. I saw my African-American brothers and sisters, how they bring to the church a capacity to lament and to mourn in a holy way before God when life is hard. And I saw in them a deep faith In an almighty God that delivers. Research is overwhelming. African American Christians believe in the miracles in the Bible. They believe in a literal Bible. They believe in a supernatural God. Much more than white Christians. You see, when you've been oppressed, when you're on the margins, when you don't have many resources, when you can't fix your problems with money, you turn in desperation to an almighty God to deliver you. We need the faith of the African-American church in the white church. Multi-ethnic is better. But I promise it will be messier. In fact, it can't even be done apart from the empowering grace of God. And that's why the church must choose the way of spirit empowered love so we're going to close by reading one of the best known prayers in the bible (coughs) typically we lift this prayer up out of context and we attach it to whatever good project we want to throw it on but what's paul talking about he's talking about god's amazing grace how the cross tears down walls and through the multi-ethnic church god is presenting to the cosmos his wisdom and his glory now with that in mind Let's read this prayer one more time. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. And that Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to understand fully, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's a good prayer. I don't think at a coincidence. The single longest text in all the Bible about spiritual warfare, about the enemy, is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Paul knows the last thing the devil wants is for the church to achieve God's dream. The last thing the devil wants is a church without walls so he's always going to try to convince christians that loving someone different is just an option but the one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world and so what paul is praying is that we will receive the empowering love of god we will have such an experience of god's love and the power of his holy spirit That we cannot help to become a church that creates what the world could not imagine. That's what he's praying for. That the world would look at the multicolored church. A church with no walls. A church that loves when the narrative has always been be afraid. And say, I can't imagine in my life I would ever see a fellowship like that. That's what we choose. We choose the way of love. And we have the perfect example. Jesus crucified. Because we preach the cross. So I'm going to tell you a story. And don't think you know where it's going. Charles Evan Hughes was appointed to the Supreme Court. And so he moves to Washington. One of the first things he does is find a church to join. He was from the Baptist tradition, and in that tradition, at that time, when you place membership, you were called forward to be presented in front of the whole congregation. The first name they called that morning was Ah Sing, a recent immigrant from China, a laundryman, a poor man. He walked forward, he walked to one side of the front of the auditorium. They called 10 more names, and 10 more people came forward, and they all. Walk to the other side. They saved the best for last. They called Charles Evan Hughes New Supreme Court Justice. And he walked down the front and intentionally chose to go stand next to Ah Singh. Be careful. What we want to think is, oh, what a noble man that he would lower himself to stand by someone of such low position. That's not how heaven saw that moment. Heaven saw all sing. He said, what a noble man. Through all his trials and his struggles, he has not stopped believing in Jesus. He has not stopped pursuing Jesus, even when the church didn't pursue him. What an honor for anyone to stand next to him. That's God's dream. To be a church where we see the person who's, by gender, by age, by ethnicity, by culture, is different from me. And I embrace that. I celebrate that. And I say, what an honor to stand next to you for the cause of Jesus. You see, what God wants... Is color-blessed, not color-blind. Don't say you're color-blind. I want you to see my color. I want to see yours. And I want to be glad because we're not the same. So I'm going to close with an illustration from one of the top five movies ever made. It was called Remember the Titans. You could disagree, but you would be wrong. It was about a true story the same time that I was starting high school. It was the 1970s. It was Virginia. Forced integration. And it played out in the story of the football team. The white players weren't happy to play with the black players, and the black players weren't happy to join the white players. And the two best players from both groups was Gary left side linebacker, and Julius, strong side linebacker. And they immediately had conflict. But then in the course of the season, they became friends. Their sense of purpose for a mission transcended their differences. They realized we're actually better together. Before the big game, Gary's in a car accident. And Julius learns that Gary's paralyzed from the waist down. And the one person Gary wants to see is Julius. Watch this, please. Only Ken's allowed in here. Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. Oh, man. You think I look banged up? You should see my Camaro. Man. Joey, I'm sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You can't be hurt like this. You... you're Superman. I was afraid of you, Julius. don't saw what I was afraid of and now I don't know I was only hating my brother I tell you what though um when all this is over and you're gonna move out of the same neighborhood together, okay and um we' will get old mm-hmm. we will get fat and there ain't gonna be all this black white between us. Side. Strong side. So, um, I said every week during the series, I'm going to give you a prayer. Last week, I asked you to pray, Lord. What do you want to say to me? This week, I want you to pray every day. This simple prayer, Lord, help us be a church that preaches gospel the whole gospel the full gospel the enemy will try to make us afraid but we don't have to be afraid we will lift up christ and it will tear down walls and god will give us the grace to do this Why do we talk about race? Because we preach the cross. Bow your head. And so God, thank you for grace. We were so messed up. Our fallenness is so fatal. And yet over and over in your scripture, we read those two wonderful words. But God, but God who is rich in mercy... But God, who loves us so much, has saved us by grace. So God, help us to receive your grace and help us to embody it. Help us to live it. Help us to be a church that lives, proclaims the gospel. And help us not to be afraid of what that will look like. Because we don't just want to be a church that makes you look good. We want to be a church that makes you look smart. And so, God, thank you for grace. Help us to preach it the way Jesus lived it. In his powerful name we pray. Amen.